will say we all. This is gonna get pretty interesting. Define interesting. The God of God, we're all gonna die. Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Delicious strawberry flavor. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, and now. From the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 132. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are excited to be here tonight at the Diner. We have a lot of good things coming up tonight. And uh, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of listeners, a lot of diners showing up some, showing us some goodness here, Miles. That is, and, and listeners, I just... Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's the deal. We mentioned at the beginning of our shows that if you would love to help support the diner, there's always a tip jar setting on our webpage at the sci-fi diner podcast.com. And we want to thank two people that are making this show tonight possible. Um, first of all, I want to thank Mike Crate, who mm. you heard about, the, the what, the uh, SG-1 podcast? Uh, yes, him and Alan uh, host uh, the, the, uh, the, the Gatecast. The yes. Gatecast, mm-hmm. and uh, do, a, do a phenomenal job. If you're a Stargate yep. fan and you haven't checked out their podcast, you've got to check them out. But he, he dropped what he called a little token of, of his appreciation in the uh, in the tip jar. And so, yes, we'll get the Kleenexes out of the tip jar that you put there, Mike. But uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Mike's no, a great guy. Yes. And then Soren Azer, I hope I'm saying your name right, from Denmark, who sent, who sent us a lot of love this week. And we are so thankful for that. And so this episode is dedicated to these men that are making this podcast possible. And if you would like... To drop a little money in the tip jar, and uh, you want us to read out a message on the air, we're more than happy to do it, as long as it's appropriate and about miles, we're okay. <laughs> as long as it's family-friendly. Yeah, family-friendly, basically. Mm-hmm. So, But thank you so much, guys, for helping sponsor the podcast tonight. And, uh, wow, we have a lot going on tonight. What's, right. Let's back up. What's going on in your sci-fi world, Miles? Uh, last week, I purchased a, a new Star Trek novel by Christopher Bennett called uh, Forgotten History. Um, it's... Uh, it's in, it's in the series. Maybe he's starting a new series with the uh, uh, Department of Temporal Investigations. And so I just started reading that. I'm actually halfway through it already. So I'm really enjoying that. Of course, I'm enjoying Fringe and uh, enjoying Touch and um, rewatching some old shows I, I like, you know, Stargate and Stargate Atlantis. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. I'm still working through uh, Deep Space Nine. I am in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, about seven episodes in, I'm enjoying season two a little bit better than season one, which has typically been the, I guess the, the uh, the trait. I guess if we want to, I can't think of the word I want to mm-hmm. use there, but the trait or the the matter or the mode that Star Trek seems to run. The first season's always kind of weak, right? But then uh, season two begins to pick up, and soon it has you wrapped up in the thralls of it. And I'm enjoying Deep Space Nine. It, it'll just get better from there. Yeah, so interesting chemistry between the characters. I mm-hmm. think that's what I like. And you real you get to this is a definitely a different Star Trek than yeah. you know TNG or original series. Yeah, well, you know, t- talking about TNG, um, uh, who is uh, who plays Marita Sarita's, um mom? Oh, um, uh, the, the late Magel Barrett. Yeah, so so uh, 
she is, of course, in Voyager. And I saw the first episode with her, and for the first time, I kind of... I never liked her in TNG. She was mm-hmm. always such a rascal. Mm-hmm. Well, you f- saw some heart to her in the, in the season one episode with her and um, uh, Shoto. Yeah, Andy yeah, Space Nine, yeah. Yeah, so a very good episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. the the the, um, the shields come down, you know. It's, yeah, uh, just a little bit. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see. Mm-hmm. Kind of nice to see. I'm watching Fringe a little, I'm not caught up. And you know what? A show that I'm finally getting close to caught up on is Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. So uh, those Once Upon a Time fans out there, I am with you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. A little bit soap opera-ish at points, but but I'm really enjoying it overall. Mm-hmm. Good. So and there's this whole love triangle going on in the middle of it between like Snow White, Prince Charming, and the the woman that Prince Charming supposedly married to. Oh, I see. Yeah, and uh, the mayor who is the Wicked Witch who's kind of running everything. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Kind of a, yeah, kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of a cool thing. Miles, what is on our menu tonight? Let's get into our menu. Well, we uh, we're. We're going to read the trivia question we had from last week, give you another chance at that. Uh, in TV news, um, we we're talking about Fringe, that, that, that Fringe has been renewed. There's no news in Fringe. What are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, movie news, um, uh, article from Blaster, what Watchmen's mistakes taught uh, Joss Whedon about making the Avengers movie. And Very cool. I have a DVD review. Something else I enjoyed recently was uh, Justice League Doom. I finally got a chance to rent that out. Netflix took a long time to make that available, but... Uh, I've, I've watched that. In our This Week in Star Trek, um, Will Reaton recently released a video on YouTube. Talks about his life, uh, at, you know, right after Next Generation. It's a very heartfelt video. It's uh, it's a couple minutes long. We have some Star Trek spoiler news. Uh, we'll say this again, but um, if you don't want to know anything about the new Star Trek movie, um, then... You want to skip that part. want to skip that. You just, yeah. yeah absolutely and, skip it. And we'll remember the late composer, uh, Joel Goldsmith. Oh, yeah, because his name's in everything, Star Trek. Yes, and a lot of other things, too. Yep, and then uh, we have our interview tonight with uh, Marty Gere from Balticon, who's involved with Balticon and in, in the Masquerade at Balticon, and so we're excited to have him on. We, of course, are going to be at Balticon, and so guys, listen, uh, guys and gals, if you're going to be at the Balticon convention coming up here on Memorial Day uh, in May, so this month... Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know. We're going to be there. We would love to seek you out and touch base. And I know Absolutely. some people are going to be there. John Miro is going to be there. And, awesome. And uh, Nathan Lowell and some other people that mm-hmm. we know and are excited to see. Mm-hmm. And we end up with our Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and it is? We're gonna, um, I, I came up with this one. Uh, great Star Trek Voyager, Emergency Medical Hologram, Doctor's Quotes. Yeah. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, so I believe that's about it, huh? That's the menu. That is the menu tonight. Let's move into trivia. This is a carryover from two weeks ago, and we've only had one person or two people maybe actually try for this trivia, so you're winning two prints, folks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so fantastic tell us, prints. Tell us a little bit, uh, what is the question that they have to answer in order to win the prize, and we'll tell them the prize afterwards. Well, show us your geek cred by letting us know what is a species A472 and, and Cylons have in common. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Yes. I do know, actually. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, if they answer this question correctly, the the uh, the they win what? Uh, two uh, very lovely signed prints of uh, Amelia Ulrup from, when she was in Reese and uh, Kristen Bauer from uh, True Blood. That's right. And, uh, of course, Amelia Ulrup, who was Ashley in Sanctuary as well. So, yes. But we don't have the print of her. She's this. But uh, these are two lovely ladies. They can be yours, but you must include the code word. Do you remember the code word? The code word is toaster. 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 Mm -hmm. Toaster. So Mm -hmm. 
Yep, so very cool. These pictures will make a fine cl- uh, addition to your uh, autograph yeah. collection. Kalis, by the way, you'll hear this in the listener feedback show, he got his Trish Helfer prize. Oh, very good. Very delighted. Good, I'm glad. Very delighted about that. Well, let's move into our first promo tonight. It is a promo with the podcast, TrekCast, because mm-hmm. you have some news on TrekCast. Yes, for a long time, well, they took a, a long break, uh, just, just I guess, um, real-life events, uh, Prevent them from recording, but that happens. It, it does happen, but uh, they, they're back and they really, you know, they're making a serious effort to put out more podcasts. They've put out two uh, so far in the last couple weeks. Um, so yeah, uh, that's kind of a record for them in comparison to what, what's been going on. Yes, right? yes. Um, but uh, David Ivy, uh, his wife Alicia, and um, Darren Benjamin are back. Uh, we'll bring, bring some good Star Trek goodness on TrekCast. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. They're great guys. Well, here's the promo. Make sure if you haven't done so, check out the TrekCast. Listen up, Topaz. You know, see, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I still got a little Star Trek in me. I'm built up mid 21st century civilian clothing. <laughs> right, well, next time you see a guy that looks like Wolverine, poke me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> cocktail. Highball and cocktail. Highball and cocktail. Oh, God. This is getting bad. Trekcast, the Star Trek podcast, www.trekcast.com. Listen to Trekcast, it'll save your virtual life. <laughs> well, Let's move back into the show here, and we have some news. We're going to give you some TV, movie, and DVD review news before we head into this week of Star Trek. And nothing happened in the world of TV, did it, Miles? Nothing at all. No, no. But but in the alt-universe, <laughs> um, we got this from Radu. He must be hanging out in the alt-universe. He knew this. He seemingly knew this before they actually announced it live. Mm-hmm. And it was that Fringe has been renewed for a fifth and final season. Mm-hmm. Is that not awesome, Miles? This is very good news. I mean, um, we didn't think we we thought that this would be done. And yeah, so we were they were we were convinced. They had two different endings that they were filmed. Yes, and uh, lo and behold, they renewed it, and uh, we'll probably never see the second ending on DVD. I'm imagining. I hope we at least see the second ending. Yeah, on, sometime, on DVD, so. So, you know. Yep. But anyways, here here's the news: Fox Drama will return for a 13 episode season, so not a full season. But it will allow the series to hit the 100 episodes, which is key for syndication. Syndication, so that's always good. So here's what here's the, here's what the news says: Fox has renewed the cult drama for the fifth and final season, giving it the go ahead on 13 more episodes. The renewal will bring the sci-fi series to an end after 100 episodes, a critical syndication threshold for series studio Warner Brothers TV. Fringe is a remarkably creative series that has set the bar as one of television's most imaginative dramas, said Fox Entertainment chief. Kevin Riley, bringing it back for the final 13 allows us to provide the climactic conclusion that its passionate and loyal fans deserve. The amazing work the producers, writers, and incredibly talented cast and crew have delivered in the last four seasons has literally been out of this world. And although, literally, and Mm -hmm. although the end is bittersweet, it's going to be a very exciting final chapter. Added showrunners Jeff Pinkner and J.H. Wyman, this pickup means the world both to them and, and to us because we love sharing these stories with our enthusiastic fans. On behalf of the cast and crew, we applaud our fans of Fox for allowing us to imagine the impossibilities together for so long. Season 5 is going to be a conclusive thrill ride for all of us. Fringe 
which moved to Friday nights in its third season, has hit ratings lows on multiple occasions this year in the advertiser-coveted 18-49 demo, and is hovering around 3 million viewers, according to Nielsen. Still, the perennial bubble sh show has managed to has maintained a vocal fan base with critical and award support, including two Emmy nominations in technical categories. In anticipation of the official decision, the cast and crew shot multiple endings to the show's two-part finale, set to air May 11th, which cast members have spoken publicly about. Well-known Fringe fan Riley acknowledged in January that the network is losing money with the heavily myth mythologized series. We knew that, of course. We kind of talked about that here on the show, right? Right. Um, at, that, at that rating on that night, Fridays, it's impossible to make money, and we're not in the business of losing money. No, duh. Riley said at the time, with some speculating, that the statement was much uh, negotiating ploy as it was an honest statement. I mean, 88 episodes is good, but 100 is better, Wyman told THR in February of his desire to see the series continue. We would never want to continue unless we felt we had something incredibly creative to say and do. We do, and the powers that be deem it a plausible solution to go forward. And then we're thrilled. And we are thrilled, Miles. And where, relieved, even. Where were you when you first heard the news? <laughs> uh, I was probably in front of my computer, web surfing, and I saw it, you know. So, but yeah. You know, the lost weather guy on Twitter is a guy that, you know, just tweeted to me. He goes, Fringe renewed. I hopped on Twitter, and, you know, my Twitter stream's nothing but Fringe season five, Fringe season five, da 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 da. You know, just this constant stream of it. Everyone was excited about the fact that they renewed Fringe. Oh, yes. Now, Let's play this out a little bit, Miles. Where do you think that they can take season five of Fringe? We don't know where season four is going to end, mm -hmm. but where can they take season five? I, I wonder if they'll do something with the future episode they did uh, two weeks ago, maybe do something leading up to that and then showing the conclusion of of that episode. Um, yeah, because it did feel unfinished, huh? It, it, it left left us hanging, yes. The best part about that episode is you got to see Nimoy back. We saw, we, we did well, see Nimoy, yes. Or something that looked like a life-size still cut out of him or something. We, we only get his voice or maybe a, an animation. We never, It's hard to get, maybe get actually him, but we'll take what well, we get. Well, did we get his voice? We can get his voice in the last episode. No, it was we just, didn't. It was just the, uh, the little figure in Amber, right? Exactly. Right, that was there. That was mm -hmm. kind of cool, but... Wow, what a great episode. Oh, loved it. Uh, it was, uh, we'll talk more about that episode in our listener feedback I'm show. I'm just a little bit bitter that I did not get called to be one of the extras for their um, observers. I would have made a great observer. You would have, absolutely. Yes. You would have definitely made uh, the, the pasty white bald head. I yes, mean, uh, yeah, yeah. you got it. Uh, mm -hmm. The black, all you need is that hat, yep. briefcase. Man, talk about sinister. They were definitely downright sinister in that episode. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know... Here, here's the thing. It, it is totally, um, it was totally a good episode, and I agree. I would love to see him do more with that. Mm -hmm. In fact, someone mentioned that that episode could be a total spinoff series. Oh, it could. I, I, I was just thinking in my mind, well, could, could Fringe possibly spin off an, another TV series of you know? So, hey, they like did that. it with the X Files, right? Even though it was short lived, The Lone Gunman, they did that. Right, it was kind of a part of it. So it'd be great to see them spin off and do mm -hmm. a future fridge. Something's going to have to take its place. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what will right now. Yeah. Uh, Alcatraz? Well, maybe not. Yeah, well. Was that canceled? I don't even hear it. It has not been officially canceled. Okay, well, maybe there's still some hope. We'll mm -hmm. see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, why don't you go in and tell us a little bit about some movie news that are, that's happening here? Well, you and I are going to be seeing The Avengers uh, in, in a few short days, and 
this article popped up. So what Watchmen's mistakes taught Whedon about making the Avengers? As the old saying goes, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. You'd be a fool not to learn from the errors of those who came before us. When Joss Whedon got involved with uh, Earth's mightiest heroes, he looked at the mistakes of the earlier comic book flicks and discovered the secret of satisfying the superhero movie. During the Avengers press tour, Whedon was asked how one goes about making a good comic book adaptation. And his answer is both simple and obvious, and yet it eludes so many people who attempt to make them. It's capturing the essence of the comic and being true to what's wonderful about it, while remembering that it's, it's, it's a movie and not a comic. I think Spider-Man, the first one, particularly well captured the spirit of the comic. They figured out the formula of, oh, tell the story what they told in the comic. It was compelling, and that's why it's iconic. But at the same time, they did certain things that a, only a movie can do, uh, but we're, we're in the vein of the comic. I think you, you see things like The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where they just threw out the comic, or, or Watchmen, where they do a frame for frame, and neither of them work. You have, you have to give the spirit of the thing and then step away from that and create something cinematic and new. It must be harder than, than he makes it seem, right? I mean, if that was that easy, everyone would do it, right? So I'll be, I'll be interested. I mean, I'm, I'm psyched for uh, Avengers, and uh, I, I'm optimistic with it, you know, being at um, Joss Whedon's uh, possession right now. I think it'll be good. I do, too. I think that we're going to have a... I think we'll have a grand old time with it. So. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned Extraordinary Gentlemen, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Watchmen, and I would have thought, you know... League of Extraordinary Gentlemen should have been been really good, but it was just okay. And, and Watchmen, we talked about that in one of our earlier way, way earlier podcasts. Um, what why why maybe it succeeded, or maybe why why it didn't succeed so much? Yeah, but you know, I, I know I you know I definitely think that um, Watchmen certainly could teach a lot. It was a very bleak movie, right? Right. And I think we're gonna have a much more fun movie, and we're gonna find out when Saturday. This Saturday, yeah. Can't Very wait. Good. Well, uh, news also has that you uh, you watched some Justice League this week. Give I us did. a little bit of a chat about that. Well, I announced this a few months ago when it, when it came that they were going to actually do it, and I was excited because they had some really good voice talents. Um, it came out in February, but it wasn't available for rental till recently, and so I, I saw it last week, and it um, it featured the voice talents of. Um, Kevin Conroy, who's done Batman for the Batman animated series and Justice League, and Tim Daly for Superman and for the Superman animated series. Um, we also had uh, Nathan Fillion, who voiced Green Lantern, um, Michael Rosenbaum, who, who voiced The Flash, and um, uh, Claudia Black, who voiced um, uh, Cheetah. Um, so it had an impressive uh, voice talent list. But um, the plot is Vandal, Vandal Savage steals confidential information uh, from Batman and uh, uses that to uh, basically try to pick off all the Justice League members. Okay. And I enjoyed the heck out of it. If you're if you enjoy, you know, the animated Justice League series, this is something you need to put on, on top of your rental list. Um, animation was 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 great. Uh, voice talents were, were great. Uh, very good story, and um, you know it. Uh, I don't want to say it necessarily wrapped everything in a neat, neat, neat package. There was resolution at the end, but um, but a lot of bad feelings, you know, basically, you know, towards Batman, which you could probably figure out. Um, but uh, so yeah, de- definitely enjoyed it. There was also a sneak preview in the next one, the series uh, called Superman vs. the Elite. I'm not familiar with that one. It was a comic book series, sometime in the '90s, I believe. And but um, so I look forward to that when that comes out. Oh, well, sounds good. Now, is it kid friendly? 
Is it kid friendly? Um, um, I would pr- I would pr- hesitate to say so. Yeah, there's, okay. there's, it's a little adult themed in some some places. Maybe maybe the maybe the action and violence might be a little too much. So yeah, I would uh, um, hesitate to say it's okay to watch with your small children. Okay, I just wasn't sure. You just never know with those things. That sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I just wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, any other news before we head into this week in Star Trek? No, that's it. All right, well, let's move into this week in Star Trek. Yeah. What do you got for us? This week in Star Trek, I found a couple of very interesting things going on. Um, first thing is uh, I saw Will Wheaton and posted on uh, Twitter um, a video that he had put on his, uh, I think it's his Tumblr account of, there was, a, there was a Star Trek convention up in Canada that he and, and I think pretty much all the original um, cast members of TNG met together. And so um, we'll play you the video, and you'll probably recognize the voice of the person that's asking the question, um, and I hope you enjoy it. Said, yeah, you were a kid. You were always welcome. You were always part of us. 
to be here tonight for me, it, it's, um, it's very, very much for me, it's like coming home. show miles <laughs> I, I thought that was a great clip um i th hope you recognize uh, mr aaron douglas from battlestar galactica asking the question um uh, uh, to will wheaton but uh, i thought that was a nice little moment there and wow the whole crew up there miles i know i mean that, that, wouldn't that have been cool to go to that would have been awesome mm -hmm. and then interview all of them afterwards Oh, that, would, that, would have been a that would have been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we might get to meet Lavar Burton this year at. Uh, oh yeah, yep. We hope to shortly. Yes. So that, that's quite a moment. Though. Mm -hmm. We need to ask him about this moment. But if I encourage you, if you haven't seen the clip, go ahead and see it. Uh, but as Will Wheaton is giving that um, uh, heartfelt speech, uh, Marina Sirius goes up, give him, gives him a kiss. That's what the lipstick uh, reference was. And who wouldn't want a kiss? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, we have some other track news. Let's move into some other track news tonight, Miles. Well, let me just warn you all. This is a very spoiler heavy. Um, however, I, I, I so we're going to ruin the new movie for you. If you don't want that, just uh, move on, move along. Yes. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Um, no, it's not going to ruin the movie, but it'll probably you know let you know some things that we, we didn't know before. I debate about whether putting this in there, but. Hey, we're announcing spoilers, so they can run screaming from this if they don't want. That's true. So. We, we we forewarn them, but at the same time, I'm I'm thinking you have been formally warned. The um, other Star Trek news sites, uh, maybe StarTrek.com will eventually um, announce this also. So it's not like you know, you know, it, it's it, in, in in a month everybody's gonna be talking about this. Okay, probably. so what are the spoilers? Okay, I've said enough. So major Star Trek sequel spoilers. Um, there have been a lot of rumors floating around the web in the last few months, including the, some new ones today. So Trek Movie has checked with sources and can confirm some of the reports as well as adding some info into the mix. Um, so this is, this is the info that we have. Before we start, it is important to note that it is still the case that no plot or character information for the Star Trek sequel has been officially confirmed by Paramount or anyone associated with the movie. The following based are reports from other outlets and or Trek Movie sources. As always, Paramount's policy is not to comment on what they consider rumors. You have been warned. Spoiler number one, Leonard Nimoy returns as Spock Prime. Yes. So I, I was thinking that would happen, and I was hoping it would happen. The first spoiler was actually let out of the bag by the actor himself when talking to uh, CNN last week. And now um, 
AICN is reporting that Nimoy returning for the sequel. Trek movie sources have confirmed that Nimoy indeed is back as Spock Prime, and he has already completed his work on the film. Spock Prime was last seen in the end of the 2009 movie sending off the new crew of the USS Enterprise, leaving him to help the Vulcans who survived Nero's destruction of their home planet. This spoiler comes as somewhat of a surprise, as Nimoy himself has previously indicated that he was happy to let the new cast take the reins of the franchise forward. But apparently, J.J. Abrams and crew were able to convince the actor and Star Trek legend to come out of retirement one last time to play Spock. On a historic note, this would be Nimoy's eighth appearance in a Star Trek feature film, which will be a record. He and Shatner are now tied with seven movies each. You know, it it, um, it doesn't really surprise us. Nimoy has said he's been out of acting how many times now? I know. <laughs> and retired how many times? And now I'm back. Come on, baby. Money talks. He just can't give it up. I, I think there's just something... The acting bug is still there. I mean, the man is everywhere. I mean, he was—he lent his voice to uh, Big Bang Theory a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, we, you know, saw him briefly in Fringe. Yes. So, you know, I, I'll believe when I see it that he he retires. Completely. Very good. Let's uh, let's go to spoiler two. Spoiler two. So um, we knew a while ago that Benedict Cumberbatch would be playing um, one of the villains for for. Uh, this movie. Well, according to this spoiler, uh, Cumberbatch is playing Khan. So, wait, wait. Are we redoing Khan or are we doing a different story about Khan? I'm I, hoping it's a different story. I'm sure it's going to be a different story. But they'll probably take a lot of, some of the events as Space Seed, and, but make it their own, I would suspect. Uh, Trek Movie was first reporting that Benedict Cumberbatch had joined the Star Trek sequel cast to play a villain, originally a role offered to a Benicio Del Toro. A few outlets have reported, including today's AICN, that this villain was Trek's most famous bad guy, the exiled eugenics war leader, Khan Union Singh, originally played by Ricardo Montalban. Trek Movie has also confirmed this with a number of sources, so we're no longer considered to be a rumor. Khan is back in the 2013, however. Sources indicate that the film is not a rehash of Space Seed, the original Star Trek episode, where Kirk and crew first encounter the genetic Superman from the past. While big news, this is actually not a huge surprise. Trek's new filmmakers have been cited that Christopher Nolan's Batman series as their model, with the second film, The Dark Knight, successfully bringing back the Joker, and Khan is the closest to Trek gets to Batman's Joker. And again, the team kind of already let the, the cat out of the bag on, on this one when they recorded the DVD commentary back in 2009 and said that they considered a post-credits scene showing the Botany Bay Khan sleeper ship. Then, of course, there is Abrams' uh, widely reported casting process, which began with uh, Benicio Del Toro and went through a number of other prominent Latino, uh, like Montalban actors, before he ended up picking up Cumberbatch, after what he had been said to be a, a very powerful audition. Now, now, hey, I don't care as long as he has the chest smiles. <laughs> well, he's going to have to work out. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with Cumberbatch. Yeah, me yeah. neither. Me neither. Yeah. But, so. uh, but you know, we are, I'm kind of surprised doing Khan. I, I am too. I thought. I mean, I see it happening sometime down in the future, but to do it right now, um, so soon, uh, it has some Star Trek fans up in arms. Um, Unless it's a different story. They're saying it's not a rehash of Space Seed, mm-hmm. but what does that mean? Right. I don't uh, know. Yeah. I, but I, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. I'm not going to um, 
boycotted or speak ill of it. Yeah. Um, I'm just. What is this AICN? Do you know? I'm not sure. All right, yeah. I'll look it up while you're reading okay. the third spoiler that we have here. So the third spoiler is, is something from the new uh, AICN report, but multiple Trek movie sources have confirmed that the Klingons will be featured in the Star Trek sequel. Of course, the Klingons were, were originally going to be part of the 2009 movie as well in a subplot where they had captured Nero and his crew after the destruction of the USS Kelvin. However, those scenes were cut from the final release but did appear on the DVD Blu-ray. Uh, Trek movie sources indicate that this time the Klingons are not a subplot that, that would be easily cut out of the film. So we finally see the J.J. version of the Klingons on a big screen. This spoiler seems to be a no-brainer. The Klingons are, are likely Star Trek's best-known adversary aliens, and they appeared in most of the movies featuring the original cast. The intent was to, was to put them in the last one, and fans have been asking for Klingons to make the cut for the sequel. So Kling, Klingon... Is, is, is there is deleted scene in, in 2009? Yeah, we saw out. that, and yeah. of course, was alluded to in our interview with Clifton Collins. AICN, AICN is ain't it cool? Oh, okay. It's a, ain't it cool news website? R- okay. They, they typically report in rumors mm-hmm. and try to confirm them that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, so yeah, I mean uh, that's 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 huge that we know who the villain is in the new Star Trek movie and. Um, know about Spock and mm-hmm. the Klingons, and mm-hmm. I wonder if Mark Okren's going to be back cons- as a consultant, then uh, working with the Klingon language for him. Well, when we see him at Shore Leave, we'll have to see if. Does uh, he come to Shore Leave? I, I never see him there. I think I've seen him at Shore Leave. Yeah, he might. We'll, we'll have to try. Out. Depends. We'll try to find him. And we end with a bit of sad news in the Star Trek world. Yes, uh, Joel Goldsmith, uh, son of fame film composer Jerry Goldsmith, and a talent composer in his own right, died of cancer at the age of 54. Uh, Joel was the eldest of six children by Jerry Goldsmith, and he reportedly began assisting his father with electronics in his scores as early as 1976 on the science fiction adventure Logan's Run. Um, Around that time, Joel had begun working in in film as a boom operator and sound mixer on films like uh, Joe Dante's Piranha. Joel frequently assisted his father as Jerry Goldsmith expanded the range of his electronic music palette on scores like uh, Runaway, the score which uh, Joel Goldsmith co-produced, and Hoosiers. Joel made two important contributions to the Star Trek feature films with uh, Alan uh, uh, Howarth and, and and others, he worked to develop electronic sound effects for 1979's uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which featured an Oscar-nominated score by his father. In 1996, uh, Jerry Goldsmith found himself in the middle of delays and rescores in the adventure film The Ghost and the Darkness, just as he was beginning to prepare to score the second uh, next-generation film, Star Trek First Contact. Goldsmith called in Joel to assist him on the project and wound up writing a substantial amount of the score, particularly a number of the cues involving the Borg's takeover of the Enterprise, as well as the film's climactic action involving the, fl- the flight of the... Uh, first warp drive ship Phoenix, and Picard and Data's struggle with the Borg Queen on the Enterprise. Uh, GMP Records recently released an expanded um, album of the score that includes all of Joel Goldsmith's contributions, including the climactic cue, Flight of the Phoenix. Joel Goldsmith is probably more familiar to fans for his contributions to a different uh, star franchise. He wrote scores for an astonishing 350 episodes of sci-fi's Stargate series, including Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. Joel wrote the title music for the latter two series and earned three Emmy Award nominations for his work on Stargate Atlantis and and Universe. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't know he was so involved with Stargate. Right, and uh, he, uh, Goldsmith had talent for dramatically powerful television series, including one for uh, Witchblade and Sanctuary, TV shows, and a terrific theme for the short-lived 1993 show The Untouchables. Joel had his father's gift for working on, in the sci-fi and fantasy genres, something that went back to the early collaborative work with composer uh, Richard Band, um, 
And uh, he provided a droll electronic score to Steve Martin's sci-fi-themed comedy, The Man with Two Brains in 83, and wrote a stupendous full-on orchestra score to Roland Emmerich's 1990 sci-fi adventures, Moon 44, a work that showed the younger Goldsmith just as capable of working on a larger-scale uh, action canvas as his father. He continued to collaborate with Jerry Goldsmith on television projects like uh, Help, Brotherhood, Gun, and, and tackling further genre works like the 1996 direct-to-video movie uh, Vampirella episodes of the revived 1997 Outer Limits TV series and the sword and sorcery adventure uh, Call the Conqueror. He also easily handed, uh, handled dramas and comedies like A Man's Best Friend, uh, Shiloh, and, and Shadow of Doubt. Um, so Trek Movie, and as well as the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, extends its sympathies and thoughts and prayers to Joel Goldsmith and his family. Yeah, what a life. What a life. What a contribution to the sci-fi world. Oh, my um, yes, Yeah. You think about all the music and how music makes many of the episodes in the series we watch, and this is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, he will be missed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move into our uh, last promo tonight. Thank you, Miles, for bringing us this week in Star Trek. Yep. And uh, this promo is for the Balticon. We, we, of course, are going to be heading to Balticon, as we mentioned before. Again, if you're going, let us know. But this is for Balticon, Balticon 46, right? I believe it's 46. I'm not I think it's 46. Okay. <laughs> We're guessing. But anyway, here's Balticon 46, and we hope to see you there. After this, we'll be bringing you our interview with the man himself, Marty Gear from Balticon. Hey, it's New York Times best-selling horror author Scott Sigler. Scott, what are you doing for Memorial Day weekend? I'm probably going to kill someone at Balticon. That's Balticon, the Maryland Regional Science Fiction and Fantasy Convention, held Memorial Day weekend each year. For more information, go to Balticon.org. Sigler! Not the paying customers! I am going to Balticon. Shouldn't you be going too? Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Miles, tonight we are sitting we are sitting down with someone that is really has been around the con scene for a while. Has been around doing masquerade stuff for the mm -hmm. cons. He's involved with Balticon. One of the uh, is on uh, is I believe on the board. Is that correct, Marty? You're on the board. I'm on the board. That's correct. Uh, yep, and uh, is is on the board not only for that, but that for the Balti Baltimore Science Fiction Society has been involved with science fiction for so long. With us is Marty Gear from the uh, from from all sorts of things. Marty, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I mean, you have so many titles and have done so much in science fiction. It's kind of hard to kind of sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, let me give you a little background. Would love to I hear from background. My, went to my first science fiction convention when I was 14 years old, which was the 1953 World Cup. Wow. <laughs> I, so green, I didn't know that the Hugos, which were invented at the 1953 World Cup, were not something that had been going on forever. Um, so I had a absolutely wonderful time because, well, E. Smith, Doc Smith, saw this 14-year-old kid um, hovering in a corner, and he and his wife sort of made sure that I saw the con and enjoyed myself. But um, 
They didn't come back to another science fiction convention until 1977. Where was that first? Where was that first Worldcon for you? Where was that? Where did that take place? That took place in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, I don't remember the name of the hotel. I was living with my parents in Ohio at the time and managed to con my mother into driving me there and then <laughs> visit friends in the Philadelphia area while I attended the convention. Very cool. And so any 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 notable memories from that con? Other than oh, do I have memories. Okay. <laughs> no, the, as I said, the, the main one to me was the fact that Doc Smith, E.E. E. Smith, a well-respected, very popular author of the time, literally saw this kid who knew nothing from nothing and took went out of his way to take the time to make sure that I saw everything and um, enjoyed myself. And the, the Hugo ceremony, uh, the first one, was pretty much totally a fan-run thing. They, um, well, they talked about the filthy prose, you know, as though it, there's something wrong with being paid for writing the stuff that we were reading. So uh, they had a banquet. I couldn't afford the banquet, but the ceremony occurred afterward and I was sitting in the balcony of the ballroom of this hotel with uh, Doc Smith and his wife, John Campbell Jr., Robert A. Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, Sprague de Camp. Um, you know, my heroes. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had enough sense to keep my mouth shut and just sort of sit there and listen to John Campbell dripping acid at the... Uh, the uh, this Hugo ceremony and their Spanish stuff, and he suddenly turned around and looked at me and said, you look like a bright young man. Uh, what are you going to become? I had no idea at that point. <laughs> and, uh, I, said, I don't know, Mr. Campbell. And he takes the cigarette holder out of his mouth and he stares at me and goes, you need to become a scientist or engineer. Your country needs scientists and engineers. And then turned his back and ignored me for the rest of the um, ceremony. <laughs> but uh, it stuck because I actually started out at all at um, MIT uh, to be an electrical engineer. I lasted about a semester and came home with my tail between my legs, but uh, did go to Ohio State and uh, did become an electrical engineer. Um, although I've never practiced as one. Oh wow! Well, so it so it had influence in you. Well, then you said that there's been a huge leap from that to your next con in 1977. What what was happening between then that kind of said, well, maybe what, did that did that con kind of scar you so much you were you're afraid to go to another one or what happened? No, um, there was no active science fiction community in Columbus, Ohio, um, during the the mid late 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, the only other person I know knew who I could discuss um, science fiction with was uh, a high school teacher of mine. And uh, in fact, we have remained good friends to this day. Um, and one other of my fellow students, the rest of them thought I was uh, totally crazy believing in that Buck Rogers stuff. <laughs> um, 
And so I read science fiction, but since there wasn't anything going on close by, um, I didn't get involved. And then I went to college, and then I came back from college, and I got married, and um, somehow, although we continued to read science fiction, both my wife and I, we never thought about going to a convention until, uh, as I said, 1977, and Paige Ashley, who had been part of our wedding party, and she was my wife's longest friend, um, and had, was that time the editor-in-chief of Putnam Berkeley, and she sent me all their new science fiction releases. And she called me up uh, one day in May, uh, no, earlier, Easter, Baldacon was Easter. And she said, um, the science fiction convention going on north of Baltimore uh, this coming weekend, you need to go. And I said, Paige, uh, I went to science fiction conventions when I was 14. And Paige said, and I quote, don't give me any of that shit. Get your ass up there. You're having dinner with Phil and Betty Farmer courtesy of Putnam Berkeley. If you ever want to see another book from me, you will go there. Oh, wow. Don't talk about motivation. So I did. <laughs> and Paige and I um, And I enjoyed myself. Uh, again, it was a, a wonderful situation. I um, met the farmers. Uh, I met uh, George R. R. Martin. I met several other people who were guests there. And... Uh, well, the bug sort of bit, and I've been going back to Baldacon ever since. Yeah. So, uh, in that, in, do, you, do you remember what number Balticon that was? That was Balticon number 11. 11. Uh, I thought that was sort of funny. I went to the 11th World Science Fiction Convention and started back in the fandom at the 11th Balticon. Oh, very, very cool. And you've been, and have you been, did you, have you ever missed a Balticon since, or have you been at every single one? One, uh, one time when my father was dying. Yeah, hmm. well, it makes sense, right? Um, wow. So, and, and now you, you went from just attending though, to be, to being very involved. Uh, how did you first get involved with the convention and actually doing work, work there? Well, this, at the end of the second year, the second Balticon which, that I attended, which was 1978, um, I noticed that there were a lot of things going on that sort of needed fixing. And I happened to mention to uh, the con chair for the next year, Susan Wheeler, that uh, I would like to help with this convention. If there was something that I could do... Um, Here's, you know, my name, here's my phone number, um, give me a call. A uh, couple months later, Sue called and she said, uh, were you serious about wanting to uh, work on the convention? And I said, uh, yes, yes I was. She said, well, um, we need somebody to um, run programming for the convention and... Uh, and this is why one branch of fandom is called condom, because the next words out of her mouth were, and it'll all be over before the convention, so you won't have to do anything but lean back and enjoy it. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. In Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. I did. Uh, and it was, uh, I had fun. Of course, that was the first year I had to file for an extension to pay my taxes. But uh, I had a good time with it. Uh, and I saw, working from the inside, some other things that needed fixing, as far as I was concerned, including the masquerade. Um, if you Have you ever been to Hunt Valley Inn? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, yeah, that's right. You said uh, surely. Yeah. Okay. There was, in the late 70s, a Rathskeller down in the basement of Hunt Valley that you could only get to by a 30-inch wide curving stairway that was between the bar and the restaurant. That's where in 1977 and 1978 they were having a costume competition. Now, I remembered the costuming from the 1950 World Con And so since I was running... Uh, programming, and the Friday of the convention was Friday the 13th, I announced to uh, the rest of the convention and the world, we're going to have a Friday the 13th monster rally. And I moved the uh, costume competition, kicking and screaming, out of the Rathskeller and put it in the main tent, the main programming room. It's been there ever since. So um, it was fun. A local uh, disc jockey, uh, TV personality, Dick Dizel, who was uh, working for Channel 20 in D.C. and did a late-night monster movie host, Count Gore Duvall, was my MC, And uh, everybody had a good time. And so when the next year rolled around, I knew I did not want to do programming again, uh, but Sue said, would you still work on a convention? And I said, yes, but why don't you let me run the masquerade? And I have been running the masquerade at Balticon ever since. I've directed the masquerade at four world cons, um, two or three costume cons, uh, and one of the founding of the International Costumers Guild, um, have been a workmanship judge at uh, all sorts of science fiction, anime conventions, and, uh, well, it's my hobby, and I think I do it pretty well, and by this time, I've sort of knocked the corners off all the square wheels I invented, so that they roll along pretty well. Very good. Now, do you, so do you dress up as well when you do the masquerades? Um, I am seen in what I call full formal Dracula. Okay. Um, <laughs> back when I was in college and working for a radio station, um, I also played Dracula in summer, um, a summer stock, student performance summer stock. And um, gets involved, but I was being paid to do makeup for um, a late night monster movie game on one of the local TV stations. And the person who had been, my job was to do the makeup on the host. 
and pretty much change his makeups. So he appeared as a different character, a different monster, three times in a two-hour period. Well, halfway through the 12-week um, contract, he said, um, I'm out of here. I got a better job offer out of state and left the radio station, left the TV station, and disappeared from the face of the earth, as far as I know. Sponsor wasn't thrilled, but he was bound for another six weeks. And so I stepped in and I said, look, um, if you pay me the talent fee instead of the makeup fee, I'll finish up the contract as a um, vampire. And, well, he thought that was good because he was saving some money. And that's where I started uh, building a collection of bad vampire jokes. So the in 1980, um, Dick wasn't available to MC. And I said, well, I can do that. Um, so I resurrected Uncle Lad. And part of the reason for the bad vampire jokes is if something went wrong, and inevitably in those days something did go wrong, I could tell a bad vampire joke, a one-liner or a shaggy dog that could be dragged out for five minutes until uh, whatever the problem was got fixed. And um, so I've been doing that ever since. Again, except for the year when my father was born, I have hosted all of the masquerades at Baldicon uh, since 1980 in full formal Dracula, white tie, tails, wig, contact lenses, bangs, cape, uh, fog machine, the whole, whole shooting match. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you'll be there this year at Balticon. Is it Balticon 46? Is that right? It's Balticon 46. Yeah. Right. So body, so you'll be there again this year in full attire. Yep. Very good. Well, so we talked a little bit about Balticon, and we kind of skirted around it. We, and you said earlier, and I think prior to the interview here, that Balticon's a very different type of convention than conventions like Shore Leave or, or Farpoint that we've been to. What makes Balticon a different type of convention? Actually, I think it is the breadth of interest reflected um, at Balticon. It started out as a literary convention. Um, people who read books were interested in meeting the authors and discussing the books. And that was its prime focus. Over the years, it's broadened out. Of course, given its location, the first thing it did was add a science track with people from NASA, Johns Hopkins, the Pentagon, and so on. Um, so that if you happen to be interested in hard science or even some soft sciences, there is something you could do, a place you could go and hear what the latest things in the space program or the Hubble telescope or certain things that the DOD people could talk about. We actually had a moon rock at one of the Balticons in the 80s that uh, NASA brought um, kept it in the hotel safe, except when it was uh, brought out for the particular panel that the NASA scientist was talking about what they had discovered analyzing the moon rock. Um, we have an art show, uh, a 
pretty big and usually quite good art show. Um, there are better ones, uh, mostly in New York and in California, because that's where the agents uh, go when they're looking for cover artists and uh, scenic artists and so on. But we have some pretty good, and we have an art guest of honor every year, who is a name artist, and many cases you will recognize or you'll get to see the originals of some book covers that you may be familiar with. Um, some, of course, we have a masquerade and we have a costuming program track um, where people get tips and techniques and share them. That's the important thing in all of these panels is it's a two-way street. It isn't a lecture where somebody just stands in front of you and uh, lectures you, but they present information and there are questions and answers and comments going back and forth all the time. Um, several years ago, we started an anime track. We're not a pure anime uh, convention by a long time, a long shot. Uh, Otakon does that much better than we possibly could. Uh, anime USA, Katsukon are very big, strictly anime conventions. But if fandom, science fiction fandom, is going to grow and persist um, when my generation dies out, it has to reach out and um, get younger people in. So um, that, that's why we do an anime track. Um, in short, there is something there for everyone. We don't, we do show films or videos and in fact have a um, film competition, amateur film competition. And we have what used to be called the movie track, but uh, is, is now video. Um, but that isn't our primary focus. Mm. Um, still, our main focus is authors, books, publishers, but with enough other things that if we've got some people who are husbands into the science and the wife is into costuming and the oldest kid is into uh, hard science fiction and the daughters in the anime, they can all come and enjoy the convention. And that's what we shoot for. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at your panels and workshops. You have There's an impressive list of choices for uh, fans to participate in and, um, and enjoy. So, yeah, you definitely have something for everybody there. Very good, very good. Well, now, who are some and of And, of course, we have Go a... Go ahead, Marty. I was going to say, of course, we have a new media track which I believe you're going to be involved in. This yeah, year. I think somehow Paul has me uh, roped in helping with that. So I got the feeling that might be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. You were going to ask, uh, ask no, a question just, before I jumped in? No, it's fine. I was just going to ask. So uh, you, you talk about some of these different tracks. Who are some of the notables this year that you have coming to Balticon 46? It might that some of our listeners might recognize and might say, ooh, I, I really want to come and I want to see this. You would ask that, and I didn't have it up on my other computer screen. Give me a second, and I'll tell you. I'm not even sure who the guest of honor is right now. Uh, Miles I've might been, know. He has, he has it up in front of him. Do it. <laughs> but, oh, come on. Let me do it. All right. Um, 
Um, oh, one of the other things that we um, invented is the um, Compton Crook Award. There was a science teacher in Baltimore High School, um, Compton Crook, who wrote under the pen name of Stephen Tall. And he supported and helped develop the early Balticons. So when he died, or shortly after he died, we started a contest called the Compton Crook Award. It's for the best first novel in the genre, fantasy, science fiction, or horror. Has to be a novel, has to be published. We haven't figured out quite how to deal with um, uh, strictly web literature, but um, we make the award, they get, I believe it's $500, um, and an all-expense-paid trip for a weekend to uh, Balticon. And we've had some uh, names that uh, you might very well have been familiar with, Lois Bujold um, being one of them, the whole Vorkosigan series. Um, and we get a kick out of the fact now that a lot of the publishers are putting on their book, Compton Crook winner or Compton Crook finalist. Well, that's kind of fun. Um, our, our literary guest of honor this year is uh, Jody Lynn Nye, um, author. Uh, she was married to, uh, I believe it's Bill, Bill Fawcett, a, another author and um, book um, I guess editor is probably the best uh, best term. Uh, I've met her several times. She's an absolutely delightful lady. And um, as so many of our guests are, someone who is very easy to talk to and likes talking to the fans. Um, the artist guest of honor is Jim Odbert. Um, to be honest, until uh, Patty said that he was her art guest, I didn't realize Jim was still around. He was very, very popular and uh, frequently frequent uh, exhibitor at Balticon and panelist at Balticon back in the 70s and 80s. And so he's back as the artist guest of honor. We've got a fantastic Filk guest, uh, Heather Dale and Ben Duchamp. Um, I met Heather about three years ago and fell madly in love with her. Not only is she a, have a lovely voice, uh, writes and performs great music, has a kind of smile that lights up a room. And uh, so I'm, when I'm not playing with costuming, I may be uh, in the filk room, uh, certainly will be when Heather's there. The science guest of honor is uh, Dr. William Phillips. He is a Nobel Prize laureate in physics from 1997. And of course, we have last year's uh, Compton Crook winner, uh, James Knapp, who will be presenting the, uh, this year's Compton Crook Award to whoever this year's winner is. And um, I'm sorry. Judy's husband was Robert Astor. Um, he died in 2008. Um, oh, and the Young Writers winners. 
Balticon runs or business runs a uh, young writers competition open to any student living or uh, going to school in the state of Maryland. It's limited strictly to Maryland, but the authors have to be between the ages of 14 and 18 by the day of the convention. Uh, the stories can be no longer than uh, 2,500 words, 10, 10 type pages. And again, fantasy, science fiction, or horror. Um, we award monetary prizes to the first three. Uh, their stories will appear in the souvenir book. Uh, they'll also be up on the Balkan website. And I was talking with one of the... Uh, the winners this year, uh, who was also a winner last year. We don't have anything in the rules that they, uh, you can't compete more than one year so long as you meet the criteria. Turns out he has sold over 10,000 e-copies of his novel, uh, which impresses the daylights out of me, to tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, so, I've, I've, I've just been looking down through the list of, of panelists and authors, and I bet there has to be close to over 100 of the different of different people that you have there. Uh, that's probably pretty close. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I look at uh, some of them. Um, Catherine Asaro, for example, is a uh, NASA scientist and also writes... Um, science fiction romances. Um, and, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm floating through the, the, uh, the uh, alphabetized listing going, holy cow. Uh, yeah, it's a long I need list. to see more of the convention. <laughs> well, the, there is a friend of ours. We, we made friends with, uh, we interviewed him. Uh, his name is John Miro. Um, he's going to be a guest at Balticon. Um, uh, he, he, yep. uh, he did the, um, uh, enemy lines, uh, patio book and now it's being released as an ebook and also, uh, asunder. So we're looking forward to, uh, um, we, we, we've had many, uh, Skype chats, but now we get to see him in person, which will be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing that I'm, I like so much about the Baldicon, um, is the fact that okay, people who you've just read their books or, as you say, you've had a Skype chat with mm -hmm. are going to be there. Yeah. They're not going to charge you for an autograph. Uh, they'll hang out with you in the halls or in the bar mm -hmm. um, or wherever, and you come away with a much better impression of what they are like as a person. Right, you get plenty of fa you get some good quality FaceTime with with, with these guests. Yep. So it, it's so it's different than maybe a a, a far point or a, a short leave in that you don't have the huge long lines for the maybe the huge celebrities. But even though the authors in some ways become their own celebrities to us, it's uh, you're, you're telling me that they're much more accessible then. Yeah, um, there is. We don't pay them to come. They come because they want to. I mean, okay, the Compton Crook winner and our author guest of honor and our art guest of honor, we pay their expenses. We don't pay an appearance fee. Um, and 
you know, that for that reason, it seems like they're somewhat more accessible. Although I've met a number of really wonderful actors and actresses at Farpoint or at Shoreleave. Mm -hmm. And they're fine people, but it's a different field. Um, they're there to promote their, well, of course, the author's there to promote his or her next book. Um, but I think thanks to um, some of the professional run rather than fan run cost, uh, conventions like creation cons actors are used to being paid for their appearance and um, they're going to charge for an autograph or charge for a picture oh, sure. um, here you may have one author taking your camera and taking a picture of you with your arm around another author or artist or filker or whatever um, so it's, it's a different atmosphere, but it's one I think you'll enjoy. Oh yeah. Well, Marty, I always want to say that Miles and I are really looking forward to coming down this year. We have, again, tons of authors that we are looking forward to meeting people that we chatted, chatted with. I know John Miro will be down there. Uh, Nathan, Nathan Lowell, uh, uh, Scott Ziegler and, uh, many others that we've gotten to know just through different cons and just from interacting on the web that, in a way, it's kind of like coming home to a huge author family. Yeah. And so, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you guys face to face. Hey, you know what? Masquerade. A masquerade happens on what night for us? That's Saturday night. Um, starting. I don't have the schedule. Either eight thirty or nine o'clock. Okay. So Usually runs for about two hours. Um, but I'll be around there the whole weekend. Trust me. Well, we'll make sure to, uh, to look you up when we get down there and just, to uh, hang out, say hi, and, uh, just chat with you a little bit. It'll be great to meet you in person. Is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about BoltCon 46 or about BoltCon that you want them to know before we leave here? Come and have a good time. That's what it's all about. Um, Hunt Valley is a beautiful location, free parking. It's only three stories high, so there's not an elevator jam. Um, and there should be something there for everybody uh, so that hopefully um, they'll come and have as much fun at their first convention, if it is their first, as I had at my, as mine, and not wait so damn many years to come back to another one. Yeah, very true. You know, the other thing that I like about Balticon that we didn't mention is that it is a four-day convention. Yeah, we've, um, Balticon has, as long as I've been involved and before that, has chosen holiday weekends. Um, for many years, it was over Easter weekend, particularly when both Good Friday and Easter Monday were more or less federal holidays. Um and, of course, with Memorial Day weekend, it means that, uh, okay, if you're coming in from some distance away, you've got Monday to travel home if you want to. On the other hand, if you're local or only a short distance away, we do programming on Monday as well as Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So uh, you can make a four-day weekend out of it. Yeah. 
Well, very good. Well, thank you so much tonight for kind of joining us here at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, Marty. It's been great just finding out a little bit about your history, both in the convention circuit and and, and your involvement, and then finding out, obviously, a little bit more about Baldacon and what we have to look forward to this year. Well, um, think of it as a party for, oh, I don't know, 1,500 of your favorite friends. Awesome. Sounds like a good time. Well, we look forward to the party. Great. So. Thank you. I appreciated uh, your call and enjoyed uh, being on Sci-Fi Diner. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview, Miles. Let's uh, let's wrap up the show. Sure. We, as we always do, we're going to wrap up the show with our sci-fi five and five. And before we get any further, if you want to contribute your sci-fi and five, your top five quotes, top five best or worst five anything, we want to hear from you. You can email us an MP3 at sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com at gmail.com if I can speak, or call in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and we'll play it on the show. You can also email it to us and we'll read it, but it's a lot more exciting if you talk. Absolutely. Anyways, what is it tonight? What is on our Sci-Fi 5 and 5? Well, in, in um, listening to uh, the uh, the Delta Quadrant, I've been re-watching some Voyager and enjoying some of uh, uh, Robert Picardo's uh, The Doctor and some of his great quotes, and so this inspired me to come up with uh, five uh, of his quotes. Very good. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't you uh, – do you want to start the odd and I'll take the evens? Sure. Um so um, I'll start with number one, uh, it, it, and I have the character he speaks before just to get the context. So Cass says, on my home world, it's much simpler. You choose a mate for life. There's no distrust, no envy, no betrayal. The doctor, your world must be very dry, must have very dry literature. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Mm-hmm. Number two, the doctor, all of us have violent instincts. We have evolved from predators. Well, not me, of course. I've been programmed by you predators. <laughs> uh, number three, Seska. I won't play game. I won't play these games with the trick of light. And the doctor says, "Sticks and stones will break my bones." So you can imagine how I feel about being called names. Yeah. And then the uh, number four, the Vidian doctor. Strange. According to my readings, you aren't here, doctor. Believe me, I wish I weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Janeway, I need to know if we did serious harm to this life form. And the doctor says. Well, let's see. You ran your ship through it, fired phasers at it, and blew a hole in it with a photon torpedo. I say it's a pretty good chance that you did some fairly significant, and then she cuts it off because I guess uh, she got tired of his snarkiness. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Those are some great quotes by the doctor. I'm glad mm-hmm. you pulled those out, Miles. And there's more great quotes. So, listeners, if, if you have some favorite um, EMH doctor quotes, let, let, yeah. let's hear them. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, or favorite any quotes from any series. Sure. So, thank you, Miles, for giving us our Sci Fi 5 and 5. And I believe it's time for us to kind of wrap up the diner here. Okay. If you haven't done so, please join our Facebook community, our Facebook fan page. We are over 300 members strong and have some great dialogue going on there. I've been kind of vacant lately. I just haven't had time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also have the Sci-Fi Diner forums, which you have a lot of good discussion going on there. So thanks to everyone that helps support that. Jason, Jen, Miles, I know you're on. And Um, uh, mm -hmm. Kalis is on. And so thank you for all of you that kind of helped make those forums possible and get into some good discussions. And uh, we want to hear from you. It's one of the ways that we do hear from you and we listen to you. 
And I believe that's about it, Miles. Uh, you can find all that at the SciFiDinerPodcast.com and find out where to follow us and so on from there. All right. Well, till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. So we want to talk about that, but obviously one of the things we want to talk about is Balticon. That's really why we have you on, because we have a Balticon coming up, and we're excited about that. It will be Miles and I. It'll be our very first Balticon. Oh. Yeah, so. How many years have you been doing this and ignoring us? Um, um, About three. And actually, technically... I was trying not to ignore you. We, we actually tried getting in last year to come, and it just didn't work out. We came too late, and then two, three years ago, I kind of heard about it, but we had ended up going to Shore Leave and Far Point, and they kind of were cons of initiation, and, and now we're kind of getting into Balticon, and we've got to know a bunch of authors over the years, and so they've been kind of haggling us to get there. So, uh, we're a bit more of a literary convention than Farpoint and Shoreleaf, although I work on the Farpoint um, convention, too. I don't have anything against it. It's just the Balkan's bias, if there is one, is more toward the literary, and Farpoint and Shoreleaf is more toward the media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, keep, it kind of uh, differentiates, and that's kind of good. That's good. Yeah.